They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Put the bye-bye-bye-bye. Put the bye-bye-bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Welcome to the Bad Boy Running Podcast. Bit of an unusual one this week because typically Jody and I will have a conversation, have a catch up, talk about what's happening in the news and what's happening in our lives before we then introduce a guest. But um, Jody and Ali both been ill recently or away. And so I interviewed last week uh, Will Ryle about an organization called RunFast. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, listen to it now because we're going to jump straight into the second half of it because uh, we're talking about Runfast's role in managing the careers of the basically the best Kenyans you've never heard of so people that win global marathons half marathons but who aren't necessarily the world record holders or running the Olympics um, it was it was such a good interview um, in terms of the you know I was, it was so interesting talking to Will and finding out what he had to say that the questions from me just kept on coming and coming coming and as a consequence the episode's quite long so we cut it in two this is a very brief intro into um, into that one so um, straight into this interview hang around at the end and we'll then uh, do our usual roundup so hope you enjoy and, and how much information would you also be fed back about the other runners who are turning up would, would you be able to in advance be like oh we better up the runner we're putting forward because this guy will probably lose to him but our guy this guy would beat him i mean is there a, a little bit of you're almost um you're almost playing poker with the other management agencies on who to send to each race yeah um we like to communicate as much as we can do with the race directors and the race management mm. um, because ideally we have our, our ducks in a row um, at least a month or more in advance because, remember, we have to arrange visas um, uh, as well for the athletes. Yeah. So we actually we have a uh, visa specialist on the ground uh, in Nairobi yeah. Um, that arranges all our athlete visas. And, um, so like UK visas, we want to have at least a month in advance of the race at the very least. Yeah. Schengen visas, uh, for, for Europe, uh, same kind of deal. Um, let alone, you know, flights we want to have booked as, as early as possible. So that's where we'll look at, uh, last year's results. We'll look at, um, course record. Um, and then we'll also see with the, you know, I've, I've sent emails to races to say, oh, how are you assembling your elite fields or what, um, what elites do you have so far, which they may or may not, you know, answer. But, um, yeah, we, we kind of set it up that way. So it was tough. With this, um, I keep coming back to this Lisbon one because I, I literally just got back <laughs> from it this afternoon. I actually, until about an hour or two before this uh, podcast episode recording, forgot that I, I had it today. <laughs> um, but there were, you know, 
20 or more, uh, elite, uh, African runners on the, just on the men's side alone, um, in this race. And I think, uh, significant prize money at least only went out to top three. Mm. Um, but they, you know, they paid full travel and, and things like that, you know, so they really wanted a, a good elite field, but the, the prize money was going to be hard to, to come by. So, you know, that's a race where, where we really only can send our top one or two guys that yeah. it's, it's really going to make sense. And, um, the rule, I mean, the rule sort of is that the, the more money they can offer, uh, yeah. the better the, the field is going to be. So, um, you just have to balance out all those other things, like I said, and, and hope for the best. And, and, you know, it's tough too, cause once we've arranged their race and, uh, arranged their flights yeah. and, um, their visas and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, we, we can't ultimately toe the line for them. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of, so, I mean, how long is one of your top guys? How many races would you potentially put them out for each year? So uh, we have a guy, a half, our half marathoner guy is, is Morris, like I said, and he um, he likes to do one race per month. Yeah. Um, so a, another really important side of it is is keeping the athletes and their coach and um, maybe their their support group uh, happy. Yeah. Um, because we only sign these athletes to one year management contracts. Um, and if we don't treat them well in that year, um, they can go, uh, off to another management agency, a competitor of ours yeah. and, and sign with them. So it can really depend on the athlete. Some athletes, uh, you know, they or the, or the people around them want them racing a lot because yeah. they think that's going to earn them, you know, the most money. Um, with our marathon guys, as you probably know yourself as a, as a marathoner, um, you know, we could maybe get four marathons maximum, I would say per year yeah. out of them, uh, probably only three or two. Um, and then ideally, you, you know, we could hopefully, you know, once we've scheduled their marathon, which is their main thing. Um, get them a half marathon somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, they can also do races, uh, back in Kenya, which they, they're usually able to have, uh, either themselves or their coach set that up, that up on their own. Um, so we kind of take it maybe half a year at a time type deal. Yeah. So beginning of this year, started thinking about like, or, and, and the last year thinking about the first six months of, of 2018. And now we're into March. And so we're thinking about sort of fall series of races and, and stuff like that. This, the spring. So March, April and May, um, and then September, October and sort of into November. Those are the busiest times I would say for races. And you mentioned briefly earlier about their coach and their, the kind of entourage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you ever get? Do you any... watch the TV show Entourage? No, I've never seen. I think I've seen about ten minutes of it. I know it okay. more through um, cultural references, but no. Do you watch Ballers? 
No, I've not have seen that either. But I, mean, I, cannot, okay. I can imagine what it's like. I mean, that's my have, question. What is have that you seen thing? Jerry Maguire? Yes. Okay, so you know a little bit about what it's like being an agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least, at least from Jerry Maguire, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, from from your point of view, with the when you're managing a runner. Yeah. How I mean, are you essentially managing that guy, or is there a lot of politics with? the the village with the family with the the coach themselves uh yeah so our coach in um at 10 mm. uh so he coaches our athletes on the camp and then he has a training a train the a training group that he coaches um is just run fast athletes he has an exclusive agreement that he only is going to coach run fast athletes yeah um but it's a lot of athletes that have moved off the camp or, or never lived on the camp in the first place. Mm. Um, and so we, we rely heavily on him to report back on training sessions, who's in what shape and who's not, and who did this local race and what time and finishing in what place. And when I, when you saw me on my trip down there, that was part of what I did. I had a few days towards the end of the trip in a 10 where I would uh, go to the training sessions mm. and, you know, write down their split times on the track or take notes of how the fart look is going and things like that, um, which I then use to report back to the rest of the staff mm. in London and and reflect on, you know, who's in what kind of shape, who's ready to race, who, you know, needs to get it together, needs a few months. Um, it's It can be a challenge for sure um, with some of – for example, maybe they're a, a younger runner. They might have an older brother. They might have a, a parent mm. um, in the in the picture that that really wants to call a lot of the shots and and sort of you know micromanage them a bit and you know expect certain races and and things like that for mm. them. Uh, sometimes in the case of uh, female runners uh, in Kenya. Um, uh, Almost always you have, you know, a boyfriend, husband, uh, brother, things like that. Yeah. And, um, and to be fair, that, uh, the man in the, in the picture may be pacing the, uh, female athlete. And so he might be a really big part of her, uh, support system. Mm. Um, but, you know, in a lot of cases, the man is, is relying on that. Uh, the earnings of the, of the lady runner for, for their survival. Um, so you really, there's a lot. And I think, uh, as my boss likes to tell me, um, we're probably lucky, uh, as, as running managers, um, to, to have a somewhat, hopefully somewhat limited, uh, sort of entourage, uh, when compared with, you know, the music business or show business or, uh, football players, um, things like that. But yeah, you have to, you have to keep them happy. And, and these are, you know, assets of ours, the athletes. Um, and if different people control or are involved with that asset, then we have to, we have to manage all of that for sure. And is there, uh, is there a sense in some ways that, because running is becoming so uh, so 
global uh, so, so much money going into it um, do you get is it now more that whole communities are aware of the value of an individual within that community who might be incredibly talented and so it used is it changing how communities are viewing their talented runners how those talented runners are viewing themselves and therefore how they're being managed and, and, and what they're asking of you so um i haven't been in as you can probably tell i haven't been in the uh professional running business mm. for all that long to really note um significant changes through my experience of how the the industry or the uh expectations of it have changed um one thing i could uh say for sure um is uh the family or the support group around the athlete mm. does you know have a you know sense or expectation of of the kind of money they're bringing in yeah and i think that can kind of make them call on them a bit more and so you have maybe one athlete that could be supporting a whole family an extended family different brothers things yeah. like that um i'm not sure that that's anything totally new and i i don't think that that's something exclusive to to running either um there's actually a uh a espn um really good documentary called broke um and it's more on the american uh team sports professional side of it mm. football all basketball baseball players um that you know come up in in poverty maybe from a broken home or you know single parent household things like that um and you know get drafted into a major sports league and you know their contract is made public of what they sign for and all of a sudden you know people come out of the woodwork <laughs> and um you, you know people are suddenly yeah yeah, exactly. So I'm, there's definitely a good amount of that in, in Kenya. And I'm not sure that's anything totally new. Mm. Um, I would say the, the industry, um, at large is definitely going through change. Um, I think, uh, it may be going away from, uh, maybe making as big a deal out of the professional or elite, uh, side of it. Mm. Um, because now you have Instagram mm. Mm. and you have social media and an athlete's social media presence and importance, um, and content, uh, can really dwarf, uh, their performance. Yeah. Um, so if they have, you know, a million followers, but they're just, you know, average, average Joe jogger out there, uh, you know, that, that person is, is a lot more likely to get some support from, from a brand, uh, than say, you know, a guy that's competing and, you know, making, uh, even, uh, Team England for the Commonwealth Games, for example. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, what percentage of your runners would you say have serious sponsorship money behind them? 
That's a good question. So I'm just thinking off the top of my head of who we have with man, with uh, brand contracts and trying to convert that into a percentage. I mean, what, what, I would you, say, what are you thinking? If any of them are yeah. looking for a, uh, a caffeine sweets uh, supplier brand. Uh-huh. I'm the man to speak to. You. Oh, is this but, uh, the uh is this the advertisement segment of the show? It's very break into the caffeine billet theme tune. But um but the well I I see the main reason I ask is because I I mean I personally have three or four sponsors. They don't give me money, which is fair enough. Some of them I have in the past. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I met Venos, the Ethiopian runner who can run a 10-mile probably three minutes faster than I can, um, maybe in four minutes. She didn't have a single sponsor, even though she went to Holland to win, Amsterdam, Netherlands, to win their races and mm-hmm. win all her races. And yet she couldn't get a sponsor because she wasn't based in the Netherlands. Yeah. Which then made me think, well, is, I mean, is that normal? Is, does that happen often with, with your runners, for example? Um, so I would say... We right now have about somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 25-ish, uh, really roughly percent of athletes with, uh, manufacturer contracts. Wow. Um, which is not, we, I think that's really, really low. It is. And we're, we are in, to be fair, we are in talks right now. And I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that as in low, as in you've done a bad job, but it just more indicative of yeah. the fact that fast Africans aren't interesting to brands. So we are in talks right now, um, with brands, uh, for our current athletes, yeah. um, to, to get sponsorship contracts. And so, um, we're waiting to hear back on that one way or the other. And, uh, we also have a, a pool of athletes. Uh, where we've, we're finalizing their athlete profiles mm. and, and we're, you know, soon going to propose them to brands for sponsorship. So that figure might be very fluid. Yeah. But when, when um, you're talking to these brands and, and you've got an athlete who maybe isn't sponsored and who's coming third in an unbelievably quick time in a pretty big race. I mean, what are they saying back to you? What, what, what do you hear from them? What are they asking for? And, and what are the reasons why they wouldn't sponsor? Um, so it's hard because the athletes, the, the Kenyan athletes, a lot of them that we've spoken with don't fully grasp how the process works. Mm. Um, so in November, uh, when my colleague James and I were down there, that's kind of prime signing season for the following calendar year. So a lot of athletes want sponsorship contracts as they're signing, uh, an agency, a management contract with run fast, yeah. which is impossible because they need to sign with us and then we can propose them work, yeah. to a brand. Mm. So I think they expect sometimes more than what the brand is going to provide mm. and maybe more than what's realistic. And, um, in Kenya, especially, I think there's a lot of, uh, what my colleagues like to call Chinese whispers mm. 
which is, I think, a English term that I don't yeah. fully grasp. <laughs> I don't understand it either. I'm sure yeah. it probably is a, f- a phrase that we probably shouldn't use anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, but I'm, I mean, I don't know that it is, but I'd imagine it would be. Um, I, okay. I haven't heard it used in a, in a while, but I'm a big fan of it, obviously. But uh... <laughs> Well, editor... You can edit that out in post. <laughs> no, no. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't know. If, I don't think I've ever heard it said, and people say that's prejudice. But I've not heard it said in a while. And imagine that someone Chinese will go, "Wait, why? Do, why do you think we whisper?" Um, I was going to so do their accent then, but I decided against it. But anyway, yeah, anyway, that's anyway. probably a good call. Um, <laughs> so there could be a rumor mill, I guess, is what yeah. I would say. Um, and different athletes and. Husbands and maybe managers in, in Kenya can say they're getting a certain amount, uh, from a brand when they're getting nothing. Yeah. Um, there's also agencies that might have an exclusive agreement with a certain brand. Um, so they're able to get contracts for their athletes yeah. that way, either, either money or kit. Um, but, uh, so, Managing those expectations, uh, for the athletes can be a bit tricky. Um, and ideally, you know, we can propose, uh, dozens or, you know, tens of, of athletes to, yeah. and, and, and secure sponsorships to a single brand. Um, and then we then could get a, a group sort of contract or group sponsorship, uh, with that brand. And, um, that would help us out a bit from there but as of now it kind of works in our favor not to have an exclusive agreement because we can propose athletes to multiple brands yeah and ideally sort of play those offers off one another and have some sort of grounds to maybe negotiate some more money uh with we um we formally uh had uh kid drops from mizuno um that ended a few years back um, but we still have a lot of kit left over from that. Yeah. Um, we can produce our own kit, uh, pretty cheaply and, um, run fast in addition to sports management, uh, sponsors in England athletics affiliated club. So, um, it's called run fast. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we can sell that kit to club members. Yeah. Or we can provide it for free, uh, for our elite athletes. Um, and Run Fast also, uh, owns and operates the Running Works. Yeah. Which is a specialty running store in the, in the city of London. Um, so through the Running Works, we have relationships with, you know, several different brands. Yeah. Um, that we can, potentially propose athletes to and and get you know really good discounts for get clearance items things like that so we are positioned well in that way with having a a strong retail arm of the of the business that can uh ideally help us and do their Um, contracts tend to be year on year with the sponsors as well or what i've seen is typically two or three year contracts yeah yeah so there'd be um Performance clauses often written into those so they could, you know, if you stop racing, they could terminate it. And, um, what it would be is, uh, yearly, um, retainer amount, which is 
the amount they'll get is basically a salary from Adidas, Nike, whoever, yeah. uh, per year. And then, like I said, you know, this long list of top international road races yeah. with bonuses for top three. Um, and then, you know, Olympic golds or world championship gold, silver, bronze bonuses, uh, world record bonuses, things like that. Yeah. So lots of opportunities within that contract beyond just the, the retainer fee as well. And, um, and so how, if you think about how you're perceived by, because I can imagine there could be potentially some conflicts, um, some by local athletes who are like, Oh God damn it. Run faster coming to my marathon. So I'm going to come fourth instead of winning. Um, but also how, What's your relationship like with the, the Kenyan Athletics Association? Athletics Kenya. Yeah. Um, so the first part of that, um, I don't think it's too big of an issue as far as we've seen it. Mm. Um, it's typically that race directors want run fast athletes at their races to raise the profile of their races. Hey. So that was Claire creeping into I think I was clicking my pen and it was annoying her. Is that right, Claire? So she's crept in to give me a pen that's not a clicker. Anyway. Oh, uh, she's triggering. <laughs> okay. Apologies, apologies. <laughs> she that's, she okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's um, okay. But, so I don't think we've had sort of the, the jealousy issue in terms of other competing athletes yeah um i think you know maybe i'm a bit uh idealistic but me myself as a competitor i'd want the best possible athletes to race against because i know they're going to push me to an even excuse me even greater level um but it is possible you know there's races more and more that might offer you know in the states american only prize money or you know over here yeah, over here there's, you know, European only prize money or British only prize money. Interesting. Um, okay. So that, that can happen and that can affect us, uh, you know, from getting a, a Kenyan athlete into it. And what was the other part of that question? Well, I, I just wondered how it worked with, with, with Kenyan's governing body. And actually it could be oh, any okay. of the athletes. Yeah, it could be any of the athletes and, because, I mean, is it something where they're almost completely separate or are you looking to try and get your your guys actually represented in the Olympics? It's good for profile. Yes. Or? Yeah. So so we every every Kenyan contract that we that we have an athlete sign, hmm. um, Peter has to sign it as well to make it official. And then we have to what's called lodge that contract with athletic athletics Kenya Um so we scan it and email it into Athletics Kenya. Mm. And then Athletics Kenya keeps a database of athletes with representatives and who those representatives are for that year. Um, so we have to work pretty well together with AK as, as the other management agencies do. Yeah. Um, and I think, and you know, AK also has to, um, and our visa specialist could tell you more, but I think the visas also go through AK because you, most athletes have to have a manager to arrange for the visas. Yeah. Um, so I, I think as of 2018, 
we have a pretty good relationship with with AK. Um, the other governing bodies uh, are a bit more hands off, um, oh. but AK they just have more regulations and and want to make sure their athletes are looked after because you can have some some shady managers, yeah, I'm you know, sure. operating down there that you want to. You know, I, and I don't need to get into it too much, but yeah. want to, you know, take prize money from athletes or might be, um, providing PEDs to athletes, things like that. And do um, the, I mean, and do the, the athletes themselves is, if you were to rank priorities, um, in general, not, not with specific athletes, but in how they went as a runner in Kenya, where would an Olympic medal, for example, how would that rate next to setting a world record next to winning a, a major marathon next to making a lot of money? If you had to rank those four, I guess. Okay. Well, uh, from an agency standpoint, we, the more our athletes can represent their, their country, the mm. better. So mm. we've got, um, We've got a British guy, uh, competing in the World Half Marathon Championships coming up, uh, for Team GB. Yeah. Dan Studley. So you can look okay. out for him there. Uh, we've had Kenyans at the, and that's at the World Half Marathon. We've had Kenyans at the World Half before Ugandans. We've had, um, a Ugandan at the World Track Championships. Our Irish athlete has competed in Rio. Our Team GB athlete competed in Rio, mm. and I think uh, London Olympics as well. Um, so the more of those athletes that we have, the more I think we can raise our, our profile. We have a steepler uh, doing do, the do Commonwealth Games. Would you say Kenyan runners are they when they when they're drawn into running? Running, what do you yeah. think? Are they are they looking at the the big house that? Kipchoge's got are they looking at the TV and seeing someone winning a race there are they thinking medals are they money legacy money money okay. money 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 okay money money is is you know everything um I think is and that's that's a, a literal quote that I've heard one of the athletes tell me yeah um and when you are you know struggling to get by and have had to do yeah. that and you know need to eat and your kids need to eat and your family needs to eat brothers, sisters. Um, that's the motivator of it all. And it's possible, um, that there could be a parallel there, um, in Jamaica with sprinting. Yeah. Um, because they've seen, you know, so many Jamaican stars make it out of, out of the poverty and out of, you know, uh, the tough, uh, you know, upbringing that a lot of Jamaicans have to go through and they see uh track as a way out. Yeah. Um so we actually we have a lot of athletes. I just had an athlete yesterday from Ethiopia email me totally out of the blue asking for management and and we get management requests all the time. Yeah. Um people wanting us to manage them because you know it's it's really their their way out and their their ticket to a better life. Um if they think they can earn money from it. Um, certainly it's great to represent your country. Um, it's great to, to win a world record and, and have a great legacy and have mm -hmm. your name on the TV and newspapers. And, um, a lot of the, the Kenyan runners houses 
they'll have uh, finishers medals on the wall. They'll have pictures of themselves racing on the wall. They'll have their race bibs on the wall and their, you know, one room houses, um, yeah. uh, articles about them, uh, medals, things like that. Um, so it's definitely a big deal for their, their image and their legacy as well. And they, you know, they have their own pride and as an athlete and, yeah. and wanting to really prove themselves. But I would, I would think at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to money. And does, does there come a point where they, cause I mean, it's, it's completely understandable if you're from a poor country that that would be the, the, the driving force. But does there come a point in people's career where they've, they've bought their house, you know, their family are secure, they, they're comfortable and they then change their priorities and think, actually, now I just want to be known as the best or do, do you think yeah. always remain? Okay. Okay. I, I would think so. I mean, I, I can't comment too, um, generally, mm. but you take a guy like Elliot Kipchoge yeah. that has more money than he could ever want and know what to do with still living on the camp. And, uh, I believe Captagat or in Gong somewhere in Kenya, still living on his agent's camp. Yeah. Still, I mean, you've probably heard the story. He's still, you know, has to wash the toilet every, <laughs> you know, week and, yeah. and do all these menial chores. Um, and that's Kipchoge, I think has that discipline where he knows he has to stay on the camp to have that drive and, and live that lifestyle and, and put in a good day's work of training because I think he, he wants that world record and, and he wants yeah. to, to continue dominating. And I think, um, the, the very best ones do sort of get to that level. I think you even saw that with, uh, High Lake Ever Selassie. Yeah. Only, only a few years ago, that famous picture from the, uh, 2015 Great North Run, I think it was, where it's High Lake, Mo, and Kenanisa side by side. I mean, all three of those guys, you know, they could easily retire, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Today or, you know, before that race and, and be fine. Um, but at the same time, I think, uh, in all of their minds, um, it's, you know, they're still wanting to, to maximize their talents and, and get the most revenue out of it as possible because they have families and, and they, and the other thing that our, our boss always, um, tries to emphasize to our athletes is that in their, you know, hopefully long and, and, and prosperous lives, they're only going to be, um, able to, to earn revenue through running mm. for a short window of that. Um, so they really have to maximize that as much as possible. So you saw, um, the great U S uh, marathoner, Meb Kofleski, uh, who just retired after the last year's New York city marathon at, at 42. Um, the last few years of his career, he had like five or something sponsors and he was with Skechers and CEP and um, all these other sponsors. And he was always, you know, plugging them, plugging mm -hmm. his books, um, doing all sorts of PR type stuff because he knows, you know, mm -hmm. it's just about time where he's he's not going to be a professional runner and, and able to earn all this this kind of money from this specific work. So I think, you know, 
even a guy like Kipchoge's, you know, probably got that in the back of his mind as well. And so, um, I mean, we, we, I feel like I've, I've taken a lot of your time, but I've still got a few cheeky questions. No, even... fire away. I got a few questions for you too, David. So oh, I, hope brilliant. You can, I hope you can stick around for those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm more than happy to. Um, well, the, I wanted to really go through the life of like a, a runner who comes into, to, to run fast. So, you know, how are they selected? How are they recruited? You know, how fast do you have to be? And then from then on, you know, what happens? What's your shelf life? What happens if you're injured? So, um, there's obviously no typical day in their life, but it'd be really interesting to actually get a sense of what a scenario would be. Okay. Well, um, the British and American, uh, the Western athletes that we have, mm. um, are basically all either students mm. or uh, work full time. So just like you and me, they get their run in before work, during lunch, after work, you know, depending on where they're at in their training and what event they're training for. Um, you know, they they race a few weekends a month, you know, depending on all that. They have big target races, um, things like that. We did represent a pole vaulter actually who um pole vaulted in rio and um he only worked part-time um and he earned some money uh from a nike contract uh we um have just signed a saint mary's student um and so he's told us himself the the course load isn't all that hard so he's able to dedicate a lot of his time to, to running and training. Um, so that's where we're at in terms of those athletes and, and down the road. And we are looking to sign more, more Brits as well as Americans. And I'm actually looking at some Brits coming through the NCAA ranks right now, where I think they could hopefully ideally, uh, run full time. So that there are actually um, quite a few Brits in the States. At university are there running on scholarship oh yeah oh yeah it's a big um i mean because they can get a full ride mm. to to a good university out there and and develop their talents for four or five years out there so um there there are a few brits uh that we're looking at now that, that will be graduating this uh this spring but um there's even certain universities that only have brits on their roster or only have, excuse me, only have Kenyans on their roster. Mm. Um, so if we, you know, if and when we do have Westerners full time, I would say typical day for them is uh, a run in the morning. Um, could I, was be thinking, I was thinking more actually from, um, and, and not just the Westerners, but yeah, from, I was going to come on to the oh the sorry, Kenyans yeah, yeah. as well, but just just yeah. more from like actually how you find them. And how you okay. how you decide who you'd like to manage? So sort of their development and recruitment. Yeah, process. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, we have a scout down in Kenya, mm. um, and they their whole job is to recruit runners for for run fast. Yeah. So the whole year they're they're beating the bush every day, looking out for. Either up, up and coming talent, 
uh, or talent with another manager that's maybe not happy with that management agency. Um, we've also just rolled out a referral program. So we've offered, uh, recruitment bonuses to any, any person we offer the program to. So whether it's an athlete or a coach we know or somebody well connected out there that we know where if we sign that athlete, we can then pay, um, the referrer for their referral. Yeah. Um, so we, those people, uh, look at, um, performances. Oh, sorry. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. They look, they look at performances in, um, local races in Kenya. Yeah. Um, I would say that's one of the main ways. And then, uh, Ken, our coach there, um, can give them a tryout on the camp for a few weeks or months time to see how they fit in with the rest of the group and, you know, if they're a good athlete that can keep up in the sessions and, and a lot do of the, well in races. A lot of the races that you're, you're scouting at, are they, not digitized you know they don't actually the times and the names don't make their way onto the internet it it honestly in in africa and the middle east it can be very hit or miss with that um we actually had a few of our you know contracted athletes race at the lagos marathon um and we're still trying to chase results down from that (laughs) uh and that was i don't know if you know that was i think uh, several weeks ago by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so you, so you actually need someone on the ground then to actually see the people cross the line to yeah and see yeah see whether or not they have a manager, mm. how they how they did in that race, where they're from, what what their training setup is like, and so over the course of of several months, they're they're staying in contact with that athlete. Um, and then if we deem them good enough, we can, we can ultimately sign them. So, mm. and when we go down there in November, that's our, our main signing, you know, trip or signing season. Um, so we can, you know, hopefully sign them there or we're signing an athlete from another manager there. So, yeah. um, it's really, it's a really key position, um, our recruiter because they're, they're then also the liaison back and forth between the athletes and the staff in London, whether it's a, a contracted athlete or a development athlete or and then the hype guys as well, recruited. aren't they? They they're the ones who sell the scissors as such. Yeah, yeah, and, and we have to, you know, obviously verify uh, their performances and mm. and the but the recruiter I would say is, is someone we we have to put a lot of trust into yeah. in terms of how good that athlete is. So it's, it's typically that I would say typically races down in Kenya and, and how they can perform there. You know, we definitely almost always need to need to see them perform well in local races before we can sign them. And, yeah. and I was just at the, right after I saw you, I was at the national cross country uh, championships for Kenya and they have junior races uh, at those. Um, and so the juniors and the seniors, we, we see if they have managers and, mm. and the top finishers from those were definitely interested in signing. So we're, is there almost a bun fight at the end where if one guy clearly is an exceptionally talented person, all the agents are descending or is it still at a stage where there's not, yeah. 
Well, so I was there in February, and by then, almost all the athletes had management contracts already for mm. 2018. So that made it a bit tough, but um, there are there were still some some athletes that we could really pursue, and there were definitely other managers down there, you know, wanting to do the same thing. And so, luckily, we had our recruiter, mm. and we had a, a different um, our coach in Embu, who who was really well connected, that could kind of you know wiggle his way into into talking with the athletes and and coaches, and we're still in talks. And I think about to close, um, the fourth place finisher mm. from, from nationals. And I, uh, a week later, I went to the Commonwealth Games trials, um, and a similar type situation there, but it was more track, uh, runners there. So. And when you look around, is it anyone white's a manager, essentially? Yeah. Okay. And pretty and, much. Yeah. And so these, if you're an athlete, then you're signed up, um, is the first time you actually make money when you are shipped out to a race? Potentially. Um, the local, the Kenyan races a lot of times do have small amounts of prize money. Yeah. Um, it's possible that they might be, uh, they, they might have gotten signed up by the police team mm. or the defense forces team. Um, and be in the reserves. And in that case, they could get, um, a salary from that. But their, their big initial windfall from running, uh, would come in, you know, their first good race out of, outside of Kenya, I would yeah. say. And, and so if, um, just thinking about these runners, so they come on board and one year contracts, does that mean in reality then if they get a bad injury? Would you tie over a contract, um, you know, just keep them ticking over on under contract or is it the contract's up and we'll wait and see? So we would, we in, you know, sort of September, October, sort of, uh, and even earlier than that, mm. cons- consider who we want to continue working with, um, who, who we're maybe on the fence about and who, who we know for sure we don't want to resign. Mm. Um, as we, uh, cover, uh, depending on the athlete, we cover a lot of expenses for that athlete. Sometimes we do have to cover travel. Uh, sometimes we have to give them, uh, uh oftentimes we give them advances, yeah. uh, before they get race prize money. Okay. Um, if they need shoes or, yeah. or food or all sorts of stuff. Um, so we, we, uh, we keep a balance sheet, uh, for each athlete, uh, how much money, they have coming in, how much money we owe them from that money coming in, or on the other side of that, how much money they might owe us. Yeah. So some, so that can, that can definitely play a role, uh, in terms of whether or not we want to continue working with them. Cause ideally we're not wanting to lose money on athletes. So yeah. if we have somebody that, that might be negative with us, um, but especially if they're young and, and we see promise in them, and, and we see them making up that, that balance, uh, down the road, then, um, we would want to continue working with them anyways. And when you, when you say they're a negative or, you know, they're, they're down, is that something where if the contract ended, you'd just be a loss on your side, essentially? If we didn't resign them and didn't earn money from them, yeah, we'd have, we, we wouldn't be able to recover that money. Okay. And what would you say the typical shelf life of a runner is in, you know, can Kenyan runner who's not top three? Shelf life in terms of how long they can be a revenue earning athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And top three in terms of 
So say that they're not Olympic level. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we had um, we had a female marathoner that we managed last year that was forty. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah, I I think um, my general understanding is you can you can do it well into your thirties, especially marathoning. Mm. Um, and so it it all kind of comes down to the athlete in the end, I think. Um, but you know we've managed athletes well into their thirties, and again this is their Kenyan age, so mm. they they could be even older. Um, in terms of athletes we're interested in signing, uh, you know, we are, are really interested in signing younger athletes mm. that we think can, can run well for us for a number of years. Um, we do get a lot of older athletes come and come to us for, for management and that can make it a bit tougher of a sell. Mm. So I, I think, you know, well into, you know, at least early thirties, um, we can, we can still count on them to, to deliver for us. And ideally, and oftentimes it, it can be even, even farther than that. And in terms of a bit of race, uh, pace porn, what kind of times if I was, uh, sorry, say that again, in terms of a little bit of pace porn, if, um, pace what? Pace porn. If I was, uh, you're going to need to explain that one. Oh, just in terms of, well, if I was a runner who, um, you saw my times. What kind of times are we talking that would suddenly pique your interest over kind of 10K, half marathon, marathon? Yeah, so that can vary somewhat uh, between our Westerners versus our okay. Kenyans. Yeah. Um, certainly for the Kenyans and, and based off the bonuses from our referral program, mm. uh, sub 61 for a half, if you're yeah. a guy we're really interested in. Um, sub 70 or maybe 70, 71 yeah. for, for a woman, anything faster or at, at that level, we're definitely interested in, um, sub 230 for the marathon for a woman and, you know, maybe 212, but ideally 210, 211 or faster, yeah. uh, marathon for the men. And then. With the Westerners, um, I mean, obviously, if you're under, like, sub-65 was the qualifying time standard for making the world half team Yeah. Um, for Team GB. So that's definitely, a, you know, an area we're interested in. We, we manage guys um, anywhere from, like, 64 to 67 uh, girls in the, in the low 70s. Um, you know, marathon wise, uh, high two teens mm. to low two twenties, we, we could even consider, um, and then into the, the two thirties, maybe even, you know, low two forties, uh, marathon for the women. But at the, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, can we find races for them? Yeah. And will they earn good money in those races to make it worth their while? And, and ultimately worth our while. I, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if you, from, from what you know of Kenya, would you say there are some elements of Kenyan setup that are just distinct advantages over Western runners, say? Yeah, well, they, they grew up and train at altitude. 
I think, I think that's the biggest one. Um, because, uh, you know, obviously Brits and, and things like that, that go to altitude camp for certain stints at a time. Mm. And, and, and if all goes, goes well and according to plan, you know, they, they come down from that and they're flying and, and can perform really well in those races. Um, but you know, Kenyans are just always at altitude camp. Um, yeah. So they, they come to any race, you know, from having done a, an altitude segment and they're, you know, they can even perform better at altitude because it's what they, they are, have acclimated to their whole lives. So and it's basically the difference between Asterix taking the special patient and Oblix who has dropped in it as a baby and has infinite special patient. If you, if, I yeah, don't know if you know that, Asterix the comic or not. <laughs> I, is that some sort of British fairy tale, Asterisk and Obelisk? It's, I don't know if it's British. It's, um, it's based on Gaul, Northern France, but, um, it, okay. maybe it is British. Maybe it's, um, but yes, it's, I don't know. I, all the references on our show tend to be British, which we assume everyone in the world knows, which obviously they don't, but, um, yes, um, so can you repeat that? One of them takes a potion and the other doesn't. Oh, I don't, so I guess that's less important. So, do you, so you think actually growing up in altitude is is more beneficial than going there for a few months and replicating being at altitude essentially? Yes. Okay. I mean, look, I, I think, and um, I think the more you know, if you especially if you can adjust to it well, and especially if you're you know five k to ten k on up type runner, mm. you know, the the more time training at altitude that you can spend, um, the better. And I, as I'm saying that, I'm just remembering you asked for our sub, our, our 10 K, uh, times we'd look for. Mm. So for women, we'd want around 32, 33 mm. or faster. Yeah. And, and men for the Kenyans, mm, 28 minutes or faster, maybe <sighs> in the 20, in the 28s British. If you're, if you're under 30, we're definitely interested, yeah. um, for the men and for the women, you know, 34, 35, that's definitely in our wheelhouse or faster. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, also in Kenya, like I said, it's, it's a way out. Mm. Um, so, so they're, you know, desperate for, for money and for food. And they know they, that if they can do really well in running, um, they can get that, uh, you know, they don't have as much food, so they're not just, constantly stuffing their faces uh with you know the junk that we eat um they they more frequently have to walk or even run to school yeah um and and a lot of times they're those are great distances uh if they can afford it they'll have a bike um so they're more active i think as well and do you do you, do you think there's an element of the complexity of life in western society now just dilutes the amount of time you can focus on running or uh, do you think westerners have enough yeah. time to train to the extent okay look i mean um so you know i i don't think anyone should make excuses about their situation and <laughs> yeah. say you know oh i live in london or i live in new york city yeah. and i have you know this this tough job you know how am i going to find time to train or I have mm. kids or whatever else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, being a professional runner in Kenya 
is a lot easier than being in some ways being a professional runner in, in London or the UK because you can, you, you can live there so cheaply, um, mm. in terms of rent and you can have family members or other people support you and, and, and your whole job is just to train and mm. sleep. Um, and, and yeah, it does move a bit slower and, and, and it's a, it's a viable thing, I think, for, for people to, to do and to consider is to just take the plunge and, and mm. live that kind of, that kind of lifestyle. And then to kind of a couple of things to, I guess, wrap it up. Um, Briggsy, my missus, she was asking me about the tours that you guys do. Um, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause I think that'd be quite interesting to the, to the do batters. Yeah. So, um, I am not lately as much, um, involved in those. Um, but I can definitely speak on what we've done in the past. Mm. Uh, we've done, so typically what happens is, we do weekend training trips to somewhere in the UK. Um, I think the last place was Cairngorms in Scotland. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was in, I think, August uh, for a, a weekend. So um, you would get there. You'd stay, I think, usually in a bed and breakfast. Um, you would get there on a Friday afternoon or evening. You might squeeze in a light jog on the... Friday evening, half an hour, something like that. Um, you'd get up Saturday and you'd go somewhere, uh, for a hill workout. Mm. Um, you'd go back, uh, eat whatever, you know, they have different drills, um, maybe a talk or seminar, things like that. Show, show some different things about training or injury prevention that you can, that you can do. Mm. Um, and then a, you know, light, 30, 40, 50 minute run in the afternoon. Um, maybe some more instructional type, type stuff in the evening. Uh, lots of really good camaraderie, group meals, things like that. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, wake up, go for a, a good long run, um, near the location that you're staying. Um, breakfast after that and then make your way back, uh, into London or wherever you're coming from. Okay. Uh, so that, those are the breaks. Yeah, so those are the UK ones. They've done them in South Downs as well. They've done them in North Downs. Um, I think they may be looking into some other good locations. Um, and then we've also done uh, week-long uh, Ethiopian tours, um, which are similar to that, but just over a, a whole week. So you get different variety of sessions. And altitude. Uh, and at altitude, uh, to hills and long runs, so you'd get like yeah. a, a track session, fartlek, tempo, um, those different ones in there. Um, and is that with run fast athletes as well? Or? No, so there'd be run fast staff there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. and we did one of the athletes we have contracted for this year went on the Cairngorms tour and mm-hmm. he, he went with his dad. He's from like the Liverpool area. So I think his dad like met him up there. Yeah. Um, but typically it's just, uh, run fast club members or people who hear about it, uh, through our website or social media, things like that. Um, and there's, you know, sightseeing culture stuff involved in that as well. I know for the Ethiopia one, they did, um, the great Ethiopian run race oh, yeah. at the end of that. Hard I think they might have. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
yeah, they're a great time and, and, uh, we've gotten really great reviews from that. And then, so the last thing I wanted to ask, uh, obviously having good social media following and, um, getting a bit of a, a crew around you is, is beneficial to an athlete. So I was, I wanted to know who is the biggest dude of a run fast Kenyan athlete that we can, as a podcast, almost adopt as our number one fastest runner who we can all follow on all his social media. We can follow his races. We can send him messages. Is there one guy who you think if we were down a pub, we'd, we'd have the most fun with? He doesn't have to be the best. He has to be the best in a pub. The best in a pub. So what? He can he can drink everyone other under the table. Doesn't have to be drinking. It just has to be. He can win at beer pong. Yeah, just more do do better mentality. Someone who's going to make us laugh. Someone who we can like love this guy. Okay. Um. Hmm. Well, okay. Uh. And do they need to be on social media and, and all the? Things like that. They can, they don't have to be. We can, um, okay. we can help create that for them. Okay. Um, so we do have one guy who is a bit of a joker. Um, he just ran 208 in the Seville Marathon, I think. Uh, we were in I'm Seville. Remembering that correctly. Did he win? No, I, and I might be, it might not have been Seville. It might have okay. been somewhere else. Well, Seville, so, we did Seville two weeks ago, so. Okay, there was a guy there called Doug Chibi. Doug Chibi. C-H-E-B-I-I. Doug Chibi. And I think he ran 208 there, and I think he was third or fifth or something like that. Um, he's a tall guy. They call him Imrefu, which is Swahili for tall guy. Um <laughs> And he's just the type of guy that is just always pulling your leg, you know, cool. always want, always wanting to make jokes with you. Always, yeah. you know, we were joking when I was down there about Valentine's Day and all this kind of banter like that. So he's, he's a big personality and, and he's a hilarious guy. And he's actually, he's one of our, our best uh, marathoners right now for sure. Brilliant. Well, do bad is I'm going to research Doug and get his, social media handles and all of that and then yeah we're gonna um we're gonna start we're gonna create a song potentially a chant around <laughs> doug that we, we we never met we we may never meet him but just in case we do we're gonna okay. have our song ready to cheer him in for his his next victory essentially okay for sure <laughs> i'll i'll let everyone at the office know about that tomorrow. <laughs> you, you could do a search for douglas i think douglas, okay. shows up as douglas in the results i like to call him doug yeah he sounds like a dougie kind of guy that's for sure <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's, it's not normally this long but i've just been it's such a new area for us to explore and i just find it so interesting yeah I'm a pretty long-winded guy as well, and I'm American, and <laughs> I just love the sound of my own voice. Cool. Okay, we'll give my best to Jody. Yeah, Woody. Brilliant. Cheers, Will. All right. Whoa, oh, Jody, Jody, where have you been from? Oh, it's just I just magically magically appear all of a sudden. Having I just let you do the work now. I've outsourced. I'm just gonna <laughs> out, outsource the podcast. Oh, I like it. I like it. Um, when you've done the interview, just come back to me. I'll give it a quick listen, and then we'll just—I'll just comment on it at the end. 
Um, that uh, for, that format worked really well actually for 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 him because I don't think you'd have gone into anywhere close enough detail if uh, if we'd have been dicking around <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think we we talked about this about this even before. Yeah, we'd interviewed Will, but yeah, absolutely. Some episodes are perfect to have a conversation to lead us into different areas and sometimes like James Appleton for example we don't know where we're going to go yeah. with the interview but some some interview and to be fair with Will we didn't I didn't know we we're going to go into the intricacies of NCAA um, teams and scholarships yeah uh, just to pass the conversation popped up but yeah I think for some subjects where I assume like the listener like the listener like myself I knew nothing about this and I don't think anyone else in running knows anything about this. And it's so interesting and so much depth out there. And, and it's, you know, had, has, has such a massive impact on the running community as well without us even knowing about it. But um, yeah, I mean, you listened to it fresh without, without being there. I mean, did you have lots of questions yourself that popped into your head or I mean, what are your thoughts? I just, I, it's just the level of detail that you went into it with him. I mean, he didn't hold back on anything there, did he? The specifics yeah. of, you know, what exactly happens. At, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's just how detailed it is. It's just how, you know, the, the whole thing about sports management and, and <laughs> athlete management is, um, I mean, it's an area that, you know, a few people, unless you're in sort of the higher echelons, you know, you know anything about. But the fact that they have this organised second tier of it as well, um, mm. is, is utterly incredible and it's really and it's just the way that it's driven you know it's done in a really smart way you know the way that they work out um, the right type of races they have to manage um, you know both the expectations of the runners as well as you know having the camps um, you know pulling out talent uh, and then matching the talent to the, to the types of races uh, and then managing you know their their race schedules and everything it, I mean it's utterly incredible you know you, you it's like when you think about an organization that's that's driven by like statistics and data mm. um, you know mm. this is driven like by you know by form by um uh, by an understanding of how to you know how to manage the, you know the expectations of that it's just there was there were so many aspects in that that just I found totally like not having known anything about that, I mean, like that, yeah, come mm, that completely mm. fresh, um, but but just just really really interesting. I mean, I just had no idea that it was it was that organised. Um, yeah, and and even that their roster of runners would be so deep. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I think you you asked some really really good questions around uh, the impact a lot of that has on um within within those uh you know the villages and within the mm. uh you know within the family units and how um you know how they how how they react to you know things like having success um and how they react to uh, doing it and and that really interesting thing you were saying was about how they they only work on um, a yearly basis. The contract's only a year long, mm. and so they have to work really hard to make sure that the um, the expectations of the of the athletes are um, are managed properly as to as to what they can achieve. But my goodness, like the the amount of planning that goes into you know I, I, even thinking about you know what you were saying about uh, being in contact with the race directors. Um, you know, with the with like the appearance fees and everything, managing making sure they got the visas 
in advance, uh, yeah. place, making sure they're placing the right races, uh, and you know, even against the other uh, athletes, uh, the other agencies as well, to, to know who's running. I mean, it, it was it was just like the level of detail was incredible. Because it it's it's quite weird in some ways, and if you think about match fixing, yeah, and you you know that that is obviously a a very tricky area to go into things like boxing and horse racing, but something like a marathon in a way it is match fixing by they're just selecting who turns up. It's, it's not, you know, it doesn't mean that the guy who comes out third can't win it, but you're not going to send in to you two heavy hitters essentially, because what's the point? That only one of them is going to win the, the the prize purse. So send him to a different race, and so you you might have some runners there who don't have to race for a whole year because they know all they have to do is run quicker than the second quickest guy yeah. who's not going to run flat out because he knows he's not as quick as a, the quickest guy, and all he's got to do is run quicker. Than the third guy who's not going to run flat flat out for the same reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, like even talk about the, the different bonuses available as well. Um, you mm. know, for for going under certain times, so not even win bonuses. Um, you know, because uh, you know the 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 sponsors are co- sort of complicit in it as well. Mm. In understand, you know, and it's interesting to see you know, what they get out of it. Um, mm. Because the other point, the other point that you made was there wasn't, there doesn't seem to be that many, that many sponsorships available. Really, um, it's almost as though there's a, a glut of talent and not enough sponsorship to go round because there is no. The, the, I don't know. There's, the, there just doesn't seem to be the, the the desire as much to associate with um, that that sort of level, that really really high level of runner. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really. You know, you mentioned Dougie, the yes. the runner who was quite a good laugh. Well, he he literally doesn't have a social media presence at all. Oh, does and he not? So, I no, no, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had I've I've sent her an email because I I love the idea of us just getting behind someone and really supporting them, especially if they r- end up running in random half marathons and marathons. They've probably never had someone turn up with a, a doggy sign and a crate of beer to the finish. And, <laughs> and we can probably do that no matter which random marathon they go to or half marathon in Europe. But yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how, um, I mean, he, it, it, you can see it from the brand's point of view. Does anyone know, like, so for example, Dougie won the Seville Marathon. Claire and I both ran the Seville Marathon. We had no idea who'd won it, what country they're from, what time they ran it in, and we're quite into our running. Um, but are there photos used? I mean, the branding's probably worth it for showing them potentially on the front cover of a, a marathon magazine. For it might, well, well, that's the thing. Locally, locally, there might be value in it, mustn't, might, mightn't there? Because, you know, if you said, like, in Seville, um, it was a very... Uh, it felt a very local marathon that you know it was obviously they're very mm. proud of it and everything and so there may be a, a, a local element to it that ma- that makes that brand awareness valuable um, but you'd have thought a European Adidas would say right I mean we, we're already in talks to to give them bullets for the whole of Runfast to use 
because yeah why not i mean it's it's not going to cost me a huge amount and the the potential upside is is huge and you'd have thought someone like adidas who you know they they'll they'll go and um just for a pr stunt they'll go and just hand out hundreds of trainers sometimes and so you'd have thought they would think right let's just be good to i mean if i was them i'd say right i'm going to support all kenyan grassroots running knowing that if i do that we don't have to give out that much money because kit is practically free to us and then especially if they give a kit that's only a year old then by the time someone like kipchoge or kiptanui is 16 years old they've been wearing adidas kit for eight years who are they going to sign for yeah they might go to nike potentially but it's going to be a lot easier to be the adidas guy who already knows all of the runners who has been potentially helping build their social profile because they've been wearing adidas kit and they've been mentioning them already but isn't, isn't that what adidas do don't adidas do that at the moment but i mean it doesn't seem like any of these guys I haven't added us tied up uh, the, the, the Kenyan scene. They might have tied up the Kenyan team, but, you know, that's three people, three men, three women. Whereas... Yeah, sorry, yeah. Libby's talking to me. That's all right. Yes, after. Thank you. Sorry, mate. That's all right. Yeah, I mean, that's three people who... Three men, three women that they've sponsored. But realistically, you know, having spoken to... To, to Will, it sounds as if you could probably have 20 male Kenyans and 20 female Kenyans who will be winning races around the world. And I, I, I'm sure I watched a documentary. Right, so this is... <laughs> you've just spoken to the expert. I'm trying to remember something from probably about five or six years ago. I'm mm. sure I watched a documentary where they were talking about the... Um, This this was in Ethiopia. Um, yeah. uh, was it in Ethiopia? I can't remember. It, it was somewhere. It was like a running school or whatever. Mm. Uh, and they took a massive delivery of Adidas uh, trainers. Mm. And they basically, mm. it was the first time they'd all got trainers. And they were all wearing Adidas. Like, every just everyone. Um, and they were making a big deal about the fact that Adidas basically, you know, they have to wear Adidas and they can't wear anything else because Adidas yeah. tied it up. I can't remember what it was or who it was. So this is... Or, probably pointless but I, I i just i thought that that was that that's kind of what they did they just gave them kit and then sort of hope hope for the best um yeah yeah who, who are the who so who are, what other what other um brands did, did, was he talking about then who who have um a presence out there i mean they don't like some of these guys have zero sponsors yeah they get kit because run fast gives them kit, and you know. And he was saying that they run fast will give them run fast kit. Yeah, because they don't have it, and you know it's crazy when you think. If I think of the number of people I know who've got sponsorships um, for various reasons, and some of them are, is because they're very good, but they're rubbish compared to these guys. Yeah, but it's not about the thing. Is it's not about that, is it? Well, it's it, just, it, it, it is. It, it, well, it, it is and it's not. Yeah, I mean, it is. The thing is, it's much easier. If say you're there as a brand manager, it's much easier yeah. for you to give kit to someone that's got great social media presence that you can basically go. We know that that's going to get in front of this people. That is a much easier bet for a for free kit and for, in terms of managing it, much easier to do that 
than it is to go, we're going to put, put a bet basically on this Kenyan or this Ethiopian guy um, eventually, um, you know, uh, getting to the top of his game and it being, you know, highly, you know, highly valuable um, to us. In but terms then you're of bet- they're betting peanuts. They're betting, I mean, kit to them costs them nothing. Yeah. And that's, they can even, they can do kit, that, they can send kit that is a year down the line that they'd normally flog off. But why because... don't they then? Come on, why don't they? I don't know. I think maybe they just haven't got the foresight to maybe the end that, result. I find that very difficult to believe. I, I find that really, really... I, the, if there's a way of them getting essentially getting a sponsorship cheaper than the, than the amounts that they will pay um, eventually for it, I, I find that really difficult. But because what you're saying, essentially, mm. I mean, that's the way it's always been, isn't it? It's always about um, uh, shoe manufacturers backing, um, you know, the right people or or, or spreading mm. their who they're backing to the point that you know people are going to emerge. Um, that's what that's what Nike did. That's you know that's that's pretty much how every sort of shoe uh, uh, sponsorship comes along. But maybe, yeah, maybe they <laughs> maybe they've done that in the past, and they know that as soon as a shoe deal comes along, they're like, oh, "We need to get out of these Adidas. They are shit." Yeah, I mean, but potentially, and and maybe it it doesn't prove successful in building loyalty. But even so, the fact that these guys don't have contracts now, and they're winning these rate these races, and it wouldn't take much to have a a second tier social media manager for Adidas who manages the careers of the 20, 30 run fast runners on social media. And so when, um, when he goes to Seville, everyone in Seville knows that guy's Adidas. They make sure as part of the contract for that race, sponsoring it, that, the, the runner on the front of the magazine for next year is this year's winner wearing their kit. I mean, all things like that are worth thousands of pounds. Yeah, but you don't. But, they're, but they're, that's not how. That's not how the um, the brands are set up, are they? The brands aren't but set that, up to have like you would. You would not find a brand that would have a dedicated social media manager for a, a second tier thing. You bet. I mean, the team, the, yeah, the size of the brand. You, well, you could do, but they don't. The the, the the brands are set up. They have skeleton staff at the moment, especially if in, you know if they're a um, if they're a, uh, a non-European um, uh, brand. They have they have tiny staff. Um, managing yeah, that. but I, I think if I was a, 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 a if I was a Nike a Adidas you know, Sokeni, I'd have a, a European social media person for that who'd just be tasked with getting the most out of links with. Kenyans. But Sokoni have like two people in the whole of Europe. Okay, maybe not Sokoni, but Nike and Adidas have hundreds of people. But also, oh, do you know? Do you know that for a fact? They have hundreds of people. I don't think. I, I, I don't think across, that's true. Across Europe, they do. I, yeah. I don't think they do. I, don't, I honestly, I think this comes down. This comes down to uh, people. The, the, the way that those brands manage it. I, 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 they have. They have really small teams. But even if they have small teams, the amount they'll pay agencies for one idea is enough to fuel to fund the whole of that across Europe. Right, we need to speak. To, we need to find someone to speak to uh, at, at one of the, at one of the brands to find out. Yeah, we need out to find out why they're not doing it. Yeah. In fact, I, I I'm going to be going into um, to Nike in um, Oxford Street soon because 
you know the issue I had with Vaporfly. I'm yeah. desperate to wear those for comrades, but I can't. So I'm going to go in and have my feet tested and, and try on the shoes. Maybe I'm hoping it's just because they're the wrong size, but I'll speak to Silka, who works there, and see if she's prepared to come on. The trouble is, I think if you work for a Nike and Adidas, you're going to shit yourself about coming on the podcast and talking <laughs> about these types of things because you're either going to say something you shouldn't or you're going to be critical of the current system or you're going to reveal that you don't care about supporting grassroots potentially you just care about the bottom line and people don't care about kenyans or or whatever it may be i think it's quite a hard sell to get someone on but we need to find someone who's left <laughs> i think we i think we know the answer to this don't we i think like that it was your last one wasn't it it's about the bottom line and they don't give a shit about second tier kenyans i think i think that, that that's my gut instinct it, what's your what's your gut instinct do you think it's like pure incompetence or I, I mean, I, th- I think it's probably that to have a role like this needs to be a centralized role to make it worthwhile. And a lot of politics in large corporations are about not wanting headcount on someone's particular business unit. And so it wouldn't make sense to have a European wide position so junior because whose headcount would they fall into? So, for example, with Accenture, even though I was head of events, um, events marketing across Europe, Middle East, Latin America, I was a contractor because no one country wanted to have me officially as headcount under their business unit. And I think it's probably the same thing for these types of companies, that even if there are some roles that would make sense, who's going to make that decision unless it's the European head of marketing for the whole of Europe? And they're not going to have this guy reporting into them. So who's going to be managing the caffeine bullet social media pan-European, pan-African account for for these kenyan runners i'm uh i'm just employing uh directly for the kenyans <laughs> My, i'm outsourcing we're gonna have a, an outsourced company based in kenya someone on the ground someone on the ground that would be pretty good imagine that you've got if you had like a uh, a um like a social media film crew or something that would be pretty awesome in, I mean, that's the thing. If if we, that's quite a good idea to have someone who is a gap year student who just fancies it going out there and just signing up all these people to create content for Caffeine Bullet and um, showing what it can do and things like that. But, but then um, wouldn't 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 people like um, Runfast go? Uh, will, will you will you stop doing that? It's getting in the way of all of our official sponsorships. Potentially, that's why. Uh, that's why we do it all. <laughs> that's why we do it really quietly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We only talk about it afterwards. But um, yeah, I'm a but secret it... caffeine bullet. <laughs> but what? What I wish I'd have asked now, um, which I forgot, is how much a salary, a typical salary, would be. Like, what can one expect to make over the course of a ten-year career? Yeah, that's a good question. It's really, like um, when you're after costs, what that would be in their local currency. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? How um, yeah, we talk about like how important it is to them in terms of like we talk about the you know the sponsorship that they get and the and the prize money and stuff. And essentially, they're doing it to you know to buy land, to look after their family, um, stuff like that. Um, but it was that was really interesting stuff because I didn't know that. I don't, you, you you probably knew all that already about like Kipchoge um, and. Um, 
you know, at the um, at the running camp, still being part of the running camp, even though he, he doesn't need to be. Um, and yeah. still, you know, and knowing that he has to be in that environment in order to um, keep, you know, uh, keep at the top of his game. Yeah, and, and the fact that you do get, like Mo Farah, for example, goes to running camp in Ethiopia to train at altitude with the locals there. And I, I think that it's, well, as soon as you escape your culture, um, when I when I was working executive search, actually for Nike, um, one of our clients, but in recruitment, it was the same. You were this company and people would think, well, I can make all this money for myself. And as soon as they set up by themselves, you just don't work hard. And <laughs> it's like working from home, isn't it? Yeah. It's working from home. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's true. You've got to be so focused to, um, but also, you know, pain is is reduced when you train with someone else and it's, it's been shown in hundreds of tests that um it's just easier to run hard with someone else were you slightly disappointed i could tell in your voice there was some slight disappointment um when you were asking about you know the, the different types of runners that they they had on the books and he said basically like the top end was sort of like 32 any any any, any older than that and you you know you passed it <laughs> that's interesting actually because i mean how old how old was steve way when he burst onto the scene obviously he wasn't quite at the same level but for uk he was you know he qualified for the commonwealth yeah. in the marathon um can't remember if he did the olympics he was probably at least 32 maybe older yeah yeah exactly so i don't know i just you know maybe that's a different type of agency an old you know old knackers agency yeah, I saga. think saga I think, runners. Well, you say that there's there's a lot of stuff recently about um, uh, older runners and you know the records that they're breaking. Um, well, breaking them because no one else has lived that long, basically. Um, but the, you know there is that there is that, that element to it. Um, so yeah, I just I, I wonder. I wonder if I wonder if they'll ever have like an old Olympics or something. An Olympics for well, seniors. They do. do they? Yeah, there's a Masters World Championships, and in fact, that that might be something we could we could invite someone to talk about in the future. There's there's a guy from our club, Adrian Essex, who he still takes part in the um, the decathlon. I think he's world champion decathlete over sixty, or something similar to that. Oh yeah, um, yeah, amazing athlete, and it's it's interesting the way because obviously all the People like Ben Johnson and Michael Johnson and Carl Lewis you know, from that era, they, they're not going to be still doing the sprints. And similarly, you're not going to have Paula Ratcliffe or Mo Farah turning up to those things in 10 years' time. Yeah. So it, it ends up being the best of the people who weren't quite good enough, who've still got a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Oh, or I love that, though. Who've come into it. I love that. They've just, they've just bided their time. They're, they're biding their time for yeah. the moment of glory. I love that. <laughs> well, maybe we should do it. Yeah, we should find someone, actually. If, so, Dubaz, is there anyone you know that has been to the World Championships, the Masters World Championships? I, I, I presume it's called. From what I've been told, it, it seems like it's a really nice environment where it's a good excuse to go and visit another city. And everyone there is it's competitive but also is old enough and mature enough that you know it's not be all and end all 
and they all travel with their wives and, and have a great time afterwards. I, I mean, I'd love to know what the event village is there compared to the event village at the, at the Olympics. But <laughs> Very different, but yeah, I imagine. Very do, different. Yeah. <laughs> but do better. Do you, if you know anyone, please suggest, uh, let us know anyone you think would be entertaining to talk about that. Because I think that's a, a side of athletics and sport in general that you never hear about. And we need to find out because it's our future. It's, it's not It's not far from round the corner. <laughs> no, exactly. I know. I'm planning ahead. I've, I've written... I've written off me achieving anything, uh, you know, in, in in this decade. So you know, maybe I'm I'm aiming to to, to you know in my sixties to possibly uh, possibly actually try and win a race. Yeah, I mean, and all you need to do is make sure you can still move when you're hundred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just need to outlive people. That's all. Yeah, that's the biggest. <laughs> and then you can turn up and win at every event. Just wait until it comes back to London when you're 101. You can smash it. Yeah, absolutely. But no, that was yeah, that was that was a, a really good episode, and I think it really benefited from just having um, just having you just keep plugging away at, um, at asking the question. I can't just the amount of detail he went into was incredible. Down to yeah. you know the percent and all that sponsorship stuff as well. Right at the start, we talk about the um, uh, American colleges. Really, yeah. really interesting. You know how they're, they're you know, forced to um, have an equal amount of scholarships, and as a result of that. They, there's an imbalance if you are a good um, football college, American football college, um, that all your other sports. And also, how different to it to the UK? How does how does it work in the UK? Well, I mean, we we might have scholarships, but at Imperial, I didn't know of anyone on a scholarship other than potentially a few rows. You said that you said there were like three or four scholarships that you knew of, didn't you? And they're like they in their colleges were like seventy, eighty scholarships or something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and and that, I mean, it's partly because of the way our sports are set up. I mean, if you're a footballer, you're playing for Arsenal from the age of ten, yeah. whereas everything goes through the collegiate system. Rugby's probably a bit different in that you you do have some people that go to university and then go on to club rugby. And you know, look at Laura Muir; she's still training in I think veterinary science up in Stirling University while she's running in the World Championships, um, but. I I don't even know if she's got a scholarship, yeah. and she's you know she's a bronze medalist. Um, I, I guess to a certain extent, it's I mean that, actually the whole system is completely different because every every little village in in the UK has its own soccer team that's in a league, whereas in the states there are some states that don't even have a sports team that is in the equivalent of the Premier League in any sport. And so look, when we're in West Virginia, for example, when I lived there in, in Charleston, the the local college American football team was the biggest sports team in the whole of the state, including professional sports team. It was bigger in terms of the money it generated, the number of people that went to watch it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, they're like they're they're like college teams can can just be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in fact, that that might be a subject we can go into in further detail. I don't know whether we it's worth going into it running focus in the States because it, it's probably not as interesting as the other sports. But, um, you know, that's something you want us to talk about, do you, Get in the Facebook group, let us know. Um, it's letters at badboyrunning.com. And, uh, yeah, anything else that kind of struck you from the interview or anything that was unexpected? No, well, I, none of it was expected because I didn't know any of it. Um, mm. 
but mm. um, it was just it was you know the, the sort of the level of organisation um, as you'd expect, and the, the level of um, understanding from the race you know race directors as well, how much that they're involved. You know that they it's not a case mm. of you know let's see who turns up to our race. There's obviously there's negotiations going on all the time between um, mm. different because you know it's it, it, it's that thing like Brighton constantly go oh we've got you know like nine people who are who are elite runners that you know in, to, in order to try and um, elevate the status of the race as a quick race um and i suppose you know that, that you know that 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 benefits them as well um being able to invite yeah these 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 elites there as well um again who you've never heard of uh, in most cases yeah yeah i'd be willing to, to see whether this continues in the future because as you say marketing is changing and the brands are being more focused really on marketing and sponsorships converting directly into sales rather than just brand awareness and going into influencers and sponsoring, um, you know, running crews and and similar to that or rappers rather than the, the top end, if they're not actually showing that they return money. I think if that, if that continues, it'll be interesting to see whether, there is still going to be a role for for these Kenyans who might not get the money from the races anymore because I don't think people running the actual races care about how quick the person at the front is or who they are. Um, it, it seems like the only thing, as you say, that continues the system is this desire to prove that the course can be run quickly. Yeah. Um, but, I don't, you know, I don't, that probably will continue, I guess, but it, it would only take one changing of the rules because I assume it's based off your your rules of how you can report a race, you know, or what you can say legally based on the finishing, the finishes, because in reality, you just need one person to have won a re- run a race quickly once. And there you go. That's all you need. There's no reason to keep on inviting people back. So... Um, it would be a huge shame if these incredible athletes from Kenya, you know, don't get any outlet for their running other than locally, because um, there's only three who can do the national team. But, but potentially, I guess that's that's how it could end up in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Like to, to overlay that knowledge that um, completely unaware of um, onto mm. onto 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 what we know about it already. Um, it's really good. It's good to come up with some ideas as well. Because the thing is, oh, I don't know. I had lots of ideas while, while, while I was listening to that. Just ways that you think, well, you know, you don't actually have to be that good at running to like get a lot of this sponsorship, do you? As, yeah. as, as we know. So like performance doesn't really, doesn't really make that much of a difference. So... yeah. I thought, oh, let's see if I can try and. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I had lots of, I had lots of things, but it was, it was really interesting. Well, do, well done, David. Well done for handling that interview on your own. It was much. It was, yeah. it was, it was good. Well, thank you very much. Well, um, as we've said earlier, do batters. Um, if you do have any suggestions of topics, individuals, uh, or particular races that you think would be good to examine, to look at, to discuss, then do suggest them to us. It's as simple as you, you put them in the group, you get in touch touch with us, 
and we go and get them. So yeah. um, oh. I know the, the dumb runner. Well, sorry, I was going to say, or, or you know, subjects as well. Um, like, I think one thing mm. that we're going to have to have a discussion about is, um, you know, the the case of so many like half marathons and uh, and races cancelling because of because of the bad weather and the, you know the the wild variation of you know what what happens in those situations in a lot of situations um, you know people are not offering any refunds other people are offering refunds so actually you know things subjects like that things that, that really piss you off um, that you want us to um, think about and explore um, let us know yeah and and um, I was. I was running park run with Claire and some of her friends and one of her buddies, um, bless her, a girl called Megan, she had, she signed up to her first half marathon and uh, snowed off. And then, so she signed up to one this weekend and that was snowed off as well. And she was saying, it's just a nightmare because she spends the week relaxing and then stuffing her face full of food in preparation for a half. And then she doesn't run it. So she's done that twice now where she's like, God damn it, I'm just losing fitness, eating all this terrible food. And then, yeah, it just sits on my hips. So, um, that's, yeah, that's I, I, I completely see that. I completely see that. That happens with me all the time. <laughs> always preparing. Always preparing. Man. Always losing fitness on purpose. <laughs> but, um, well, we're going to be back next week with, um, I believe, an interview with Raleigh from uh, from the Running Bug. Yes. So we'll be talking, and this about... is a really, really good one. Which <laughs> yes. I, you know, you know how we talk about, you know, sometimes we have a chat and, and things go off on a funny tangent. This is an Icarus <laughs> style uh, direction, change of direction that you, we, n- no one, no one could possibly have seen coming. <laughs> And when you listen to it, you you would have you, you will think that we actually set it up because it's too perfect. But no, yeah, it's it really took us by surprise, and we were almost a little bit a little bit uh, a little bit coy for a little. Uh, I know. Oh, like, <laughs> but yeah, any other subjects? Do let us know. Get in the Facebook group, and uh, if you see any interesting articles, post them in there get conversing with the the other do-batters um if you like what you hear please subscribe and share with friends and uh yeah anything else you want to bring up jd yeah you can also listen to us on spotify if you want we've got a, a growing spotify uh, listenership so we're available on there alexa Wonderful. subscribe to bad boy running podcast hey there google we subscribe even take... to bad boy running podcast look we've done it for you so you don't even have to bother Perfect. Well, um, pleasure as always, JD. And uh, I will speak to you next week. See you later, man. Bye 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 My Google's just turned on. (laughs) I had a podcast actually, which has an advert talking about Alexa and it keeps on doing it during the podcast. It does it. It does work. Oh, brilliant. Yeah.